Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and Hello. welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Eric Diller. I'm an assistant professor in mechanical engineering at the University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I would like to ask you first, what is the first robot you build and what's the feeling that you had at the time? Uh, when I was uh, maybe in grade uh, five, I built some kind of... Uh, automated uh, catapult with wheels that I could drive with uh, a little joystick control box with a whole bunch of wires. And uh, I remember having electrical problems where I kept uh, frying some of my uh, wires from too much current. And I just remember being uh, inspired by the the possibility but the challenge of what I was trying to do, uh, which was not uh, ultimately incredibly successful. at that time, I knew that these kinds of combination of electrical and mechanical systems sort of uh, lit a spark in me uh, and, and set me on a path to mm-hmm. studying robotics in my career. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So when you were a child, have you ever, before like that was great, have you like when you were very young, age, you have ever heard about robotics or how it sounds to you like creepy or interesting when you were a kid? Yeah, I think I was excited uh, pretty early on by uh, robotics. Uh, you know, the the inspiring robots that were available uh, when I was a kid are, are are different than now and changing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I was always interested in mechanical systems and uh, you know, complex machines uh, and being able to tinker and build things, which naturally drew me to robotics. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I wasn't uh, uh, so into the uh, sci-fi aspects of it, but uh, yeah, this is interesting as well. Mm-hmm, great. So how you get to soft robotics? When was the first time you heard about soft robotics and you became interested in this part of research? Yeah, soft robotics is not a uh, the core part of what I do, but it's an important part of what I do. Uh, my uh, research is mostly in uh, using magnetic fields to control small robots. Uh, and so within the last couple of years, uh, I have started incorporating uh, soft materials and making totally flexible uh, robots that are driven by magnetic fields. Um, and you know, in incorporating some of the advantages in flexible materials that soft robotics community uh, is using and, and also uh, you know, encountering the challenges uh, with all soft robotics. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's uh, flexible devices are part of almost everything I do, and, and in true soft robotics using uh, uh, elastomers and large deformations uh, is in a few of our projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so from this expertise, how you would define soft robotics from your experience, if you would like to define it, soft robotics? Yeah, I would define soft robotics as... Uh, the, the area in robotics where the function of the mechanical device uh, is um, is conforming to the environment uh, and not being uh, maybe a, a key a definition is in how we uh, how we model and control the system and uh, if it, if there's a straightforward uh, uh, motion and, 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 and rigid uh, links with joints that can be modeled precisely, um, then uh, then this is not soft robotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a bit of a wishy-washy answer, I would say. Yeah. Um, but but the, there's no clear line between soft robotics and what, what is not. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that if a problem requires a new set of tools to study uh, those deformations and conforming of robot uh, manipulators and parts of any parts of the robot to the environment, then I think that uh, is in the realm of soft robotics then. Mm-hmm. So you work in a very interesting bar about 
micro scale, so you go to the smallest scale of uh, robotics. If I ask you, when you design something like that, work in this scale, what do you think the most important questions you should consider? And is it different to when you go to other scales, or if you can explain, because soft robotics, most of them in in macro scale, not, not micro scale, but you work in this direction. So what's the differences? What's the questions you have to consider when you go to in, in small scale, like micro scale? Yeah, it's <clears throat> uh, a good question. The, uh, the most important thing to consider is what problem are we solving? And uh, what techniques and tools are the best for addressing that? Uh, in my work, these uh, small scale, like millimeter size and smaller devices, uh, our prime or most interesting application is going to be going inside the human body for uh, doing uh, <clears throat> diagnostics, possibly target drug delivery, uh, taking samples inside the human body and bringing them out. So there's inherently going to be interaction with tissue inside the body. Uh, so this naturally uh, drives you to consider using flexible materials for safety, for conforming to uh, uh, the body. If you're moving through uh, lumens in the body, you need to be able to uh, flex and bend to go through these would be an advantage. Um, and so I mean, this parallels at larger scales as well, where <clears throat> robotic systems that interact with humans, uh, there's an inherent advantage of uh, in, uh, in safety and usability mm -hmm. if, if, if you're incorporating soft elements. Um, on the other hand, one difference across size scales, just from the scaling of uh, relevant physical forces, when we get much smaller, our robots uh, have very low weight and very low inertia. Uh, so in some ways, they're inherently uh, much safer than larger robots. Like, in fact, it's very difficult for us to design a microbiopsy robot to be able to actually uh, damage and cut tissue. That's the goal of our robot. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a challenge, whereas you know, industrial robots uh, uh, have a lot of power and, and they're um, interacting with humans is, is inherently uh, hazardous. Mm -hmm. uh, so this drives maybe a little bit uh, different motivation and challenges. Yeah, interesting. So sorry for interruption, Professor Eric, but this, as a, the, I think the microphone, the, the headphones make a little noisy. Oh, would it, would it yeah, possible? We, we can remove it, this noise, but would it possible if you can uh, speak uh, like a speaker or if not possible? Well, let me, how is it now? It's better, I mean, much better, yeah. Okay, okay. I think it was rubbing. Uh, no, it's okay, we uh, can handle this. It was because it's like friction, so that's why it made. Okay. Great. Yeah, pulled it away. Yeah. Okay, great now. So if I ask you, uh, what is the most misconception about soft robotics when you see the field? Something is considered concerning to you, or maybe misconceptions from your expertise in the field now? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of excitement in the field and new uh, methods being used uh, and a lot of promise of what could be possible. Uh, I think the um, uh, the promise of uh, having all of the uh, intelligence of the robot completely incorporated into materials and structure of the robot um, uh, is sort of, um, it, it, of course, depends on the application we're going for. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, uh, uh, is uh, ignoring the you know possibilities and um, uh, potential of you know hybrid approaches that are leveraging. Uh, all of the controls advances in uh, the, you know, the rest of the robotics field. Um, and so I see it, this hybrid approach uh, for, for most applications being the best, um, mm -hmm. with the challenge, of course, then being uh, incorporating accurate uh, feedback and sensors into soft robotic systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how do you think we can overcome the challenges? What do you think we must, we have, must have to do in that case? for tackling these misconceptions or yeah, what could be solution for that or strides we have to take to enhance uh, this understanding or misconceptions? Yeah, I, um, I guess the problem that I identified is uh, more of a um, uh, different approaches uh, to the field and what, uh, um, what's going to be the best way to control and design 
uh, software product systems, which I, I'm very excited to see how new advances which are coming will uh, help shed light on this more. Mm -hmm. um, so clearly we need uh, as a community uh, to have improved uh, idea of um, how we're going to handle nonlinear materials and um, complex uh, geometries and, and merging that with a uh, more classic robotics control approach, uh, which doesn't have those uncertainties in the models. Um, so I, this is what uh, you know most people in the, in the field are, are working on. So uh, I think the challenges uh, that people are tackling now are the right ones. And uh, I think uh, in a few years time, there will be a, just because uh, of, of the research efforts, I think there'll be a lot better understanding of these core challenges. And uh, maybe mm -hmm. this problem that I've identified will be uh, less pressing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would like to go to the point where, because it's interestingly working in this micro scale and shrinkage and mechanical properties of uh, yeah. the robots. And I would like to ask you first, do you think that when you also using smart material as part of your research and actuation, I would like to ask you first, do you think we really have a, a deep understanding of the physics behind the smart material? Uh, I would say as, as robotics engineers, um, there's enough uh, a knowledge of uh, you know, the fundamentals of smart materials uh, that uh, we as, as design engineers um, can tap into that knowledge. Um, I think the bigger challenge is how do uh, how do we best design our mechanical systems to take advantage mm -hmm. of the unique and, and maybe a bit uh, less intuitive type of actuators that are smart materials actuators. Um, so that's less of a fundamental understanding issue and more of a uh, you know, implementation and usage. Uh, and so there's been great examples of how smart materials can be used, um, but certainly uh, it has not reached its you know, full potential in the field and there's mm -hmm. much more to do. And in terms of how do you use smart materials to, uh, you know, do a systematic design process, this is much less clear mm -hmm. than if you were using traditional actuators uh, like electric motors, uh, where a new, a new researcher in the field could more easily learn and apply those types of actuators. Mm -hmm. uh, that hasn't really been, um, you know, it's not mature enough in smart materials actuators to mm -hmm. be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I ask you what is the biggest technological roadblocks to have a fully soft robotics in this scale? Because when you go to, to downscale this fencing actuation, it sounds maybe not easy. And I would like to ask you what is the, book, the biggest challenges you have? Yeah, the biggest challenge for making fully soft robots where all aspects of the uh, actuation are, are flexible. Uh, of course, it's going to be about the uh, you know, power supply and uh, conversion of energy that goes into our soft actuators. So many soft robots are driven by uh, pneumatic power, um, mm -hmm. and we need pumps and uh, control electronics and whatnot, which are uh, difficult to make soft. And, and there's been some great uh, works on moving in that direction uh, but clearly there's a lot of distance to go um, depending on the application fully soft may not be necessary um, in the uh, natural world you know, larger organisms tend to not be fully soft uh, maybe microorganisms are mm -hmm. actually fully soft um, but it's not totally clear to me that that is you know totally necessary for types of systems that we're building. Um, so I think we need to start from each application need and then that would drive uh, mm -hmm. if uh, some elements can be rigid, more traditional elements and, mm -hmm. and just the ones that are interacting with the environment would need to be the soft ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you what is your inspiration when you're building as a small system at this scale, if there is something inspire you how the smaller soft robotics can work as a swarm, how, how you, is this inspiration you can implement in, in the smallest soft robotics you had in, in, in the lab you're doing with, with your team? 
Yeah, my inspiration comes from the potential to uh, revolutionize some uh, medical uh, procedures and care, and mm -hmm. uh, the potential that we have in developing medical devices to introduce less invasive procedures, uh, potentially bring uh, care to people who are we're not getting it currently, because mm -hmm. uh, some procedures are either uh, too expensive or, or too invasive, um, uh, or, or they just can't access that because of limitations in healthcare systems. Um, so being able to create medical devices, for example, that would be a, uh, a smart pill that you would swallow, to be able to diagnose or, or treat ailments in your uh, gastrointestinal system. Um, these are the kinds of you know, potential and impact on real people that uh, inspire and drive me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm just to just give you out intelligence of robotics. How you define intelligence in terms of soft robotics? And so far, how you see the developed soft robotics intelligent? To which level they are intelligent recently? now in our field. Yeah, this is a common uh, discussion point in, in soft robotics mm -hmm. uh, uh, where um, uh, people can claim that uh, we have some physical intelligence that's built into the uh, structure of the device that conforms and that it can uh, uh, do some sort of computation sort of mechanically without any input from us as the users as it's being used. Um, I think we can get away with that kind of claim. Uh, you know, is a, uh, is a wave crashing over a rock intelligent because it knows how to go around the rock? Uh, I don't know, this is more of a philosophical question. Mm -hmm. But I think, that, I think the reason that we can call a soft robotic hand that naturally uh, morphs around an object as it picks it up, I think we can call that intelligent as roboticists mm -hmm. because it does um, uh, achieve uh, some of the, the basic task elements that an intelligent uh, rigid robot hand would be endeavoring to do. Um, and I think as roboticists, we're applying uh, these technologies to solve real problems mm -hmm. and we should be defining things by uh, uh, what aspects of the problem they're solving and um, the exact technique that we use to do that uh, I think uh, it's not as important and basically if you watched a, a robot manipulator doing its task yeah. and you described its behavior uh, and if you if it seems to be intelligent because it's uh, you know, conforming to objects and able to uh, pick up objects of various sizes and shapes um, I think we can call that intelligence uh, regardless of what the uh, uh, the source of that intelligence is, um, if it's built into materials or some complex control scheme, mm -hmm. I don't think it matters so much. Yeah, I'm interested about uh, your application about drug delivery, and and you said that it must be like non-invasive and least painful. And I would like to imagine the scenario, how, how, how this can be done. It's like you have to integrate like emotion in terms of sensing in this scale of robotics. So, they, so robotics, they can uh, like feedback how, how the patient feel. How you imagine the scenario that makes these soft robotics in this scale can make it desired job to, for drug, drug delivery. How the sensation could be done, how it's like emotion how you imagine the scenario in real application? Yeah, so uh, you know, one example would be, um, like I mentioned before, these uh, smart robotic pills that you would swallow, uh, which I think should incorporate soft uh, robotic elements. Um, uh, basically, uh, the soft robotic elements would be part of the actuation and structure of the device so mm -hmm. that we can, uh, for example, open up trapdoors on body on on the body of the capsule uh, to release drug or, or even take samples like a biopsy sample yeah. of uh, tissue or mucosal layers in the intestines or uh, actually taking samples of uh, stomach or intestinal contents for study mm -hmm. uh, which there's a lot of need uh, to be able to study those in a less invasive way than um, 
than uh, with endoscopes or uh, having a colonoscopy, for example, as, as uh, moderately invasive uh, procedures. And so um, yeah, we're incorporating soft robotics elements onto those uh, as the actuators to interact uh, safely uh, with the tissue in the body and be able to you know, move through the gastrointestinal tract without getting stuck. Uh, having flexible elements on board uh, may aid in that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you asked about sensing and feedback. Uh, yeah, this is certainly uh, important for small robots going inside the body. Um, a lot of the uh, demonstrations of these technologies up till this date uh, have been done in, in research labs uh, with a camera watching them mm -hmm. as feedback, which of course won't work inside the, in, in the body. Mm -hmm. um, for, for this size device, which is like a centimeter size pill, it's actually possible to put a, uh, a simple onboard camera, which we may be able to even get live video uh, from, although uh, being able to use that for navigation, uh, I think is probably not possible. We're uh, investigating the use of uh, magnetic localization or use of uh, medical ultrasound mm -hmm. to be able to track our soft robots inside the body. Um, mm -hmm. And interestingly, uh, when we uh, track soft robots using uh, ultrasound, uh, the density of the materials is important for how they appear on medical ultrasound. And uh, so incorporation of any uh, rigid elements into our soft robot, like an embedded magnet. Uh, those appear very uh, uh, obviously on the ultrasound image, whereas the soft robot body uh, does not actually appear uh, easily on, on an ultrasound image. So that's a challenge in, in incorporating soft robotics uh, for this particular application. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you what this kind of limitation uh, you already have, and you planning to work out in, in coming years, limitation for this developed technology like that? Yeah, so as I mentioned, feedback is, is, uh, is a core challenge and a bottleneck mm -hmm. issue in deploying robots into the body. Um, and so uh, us and, and, and quite a few other uh, research groups uh, in this area are, are trying to tackle this, uh, incorporating different types of medical imaging Mm. Uh, is, is the um, uh, most general and, and maybe interesting way of doing that. Um, other other challenges which have existed and will continue are just in the actuation and motions themselves. And there's a lot more advances to be made in this area. And uh, I think soft robotics will contribute a big part uh, to that in, in our field. How can we uh, make our devices stronger Physically, they need to exert uh, larger forces, which is difficult to do as they're shrunk down smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. um, they need to uh, uh, be able to interact with the environment in a meaningful way. Um, so that involves swimming or grasping, cutting, mm -hmm. these kinds of basic motions. Um, so these are things that, uh, as a community, we're, we're still working on. And, and, uh, yeah. There's a lot of potential for those. Mm -hmm. I'm just about feedback. Do you think that if we speak about outdoor like application for these robots in the future, how we we can imagine a feedback in that case? Is is look again? We have to look into intelligence of these small systems if we go into outdoor applications. Do you think it's more challenging to to have a feedback if we imagine a system in that case? Um. Yeah, so going outdoor applications for mobile uh, soft robotic systems, uh, clearly you may be more interested in having a lot of onboard intelligence and sensors to be able to localize uh, more like a traditional uh, mobile uh, robotics, adapting uh, you know everything from field robotics mm -hmm. community. Um, for certain applications, uh, you could have a sensorized environment like in a uh, controlled environments, like in a factory floor setting, uh, might be uh, much easier. You could uh, uh, have uh, cameras or other types of sensors in the environment watching your devices. Um, but having onboard sensors will allow you to tell maybe more important things, like what is your interaction forces with the environment? If you're 
picking up objects or, or pushing against objects or people in the environment, uh, being able to know uh, with feedback what those interaction forces uh, that might be uh, particularly important. Um, so I think that having some sort of sensing capabilities on board is uh, uh, going to be really critical for, for many applications. Mm -hmm. I would like to ask you to think about the community have to be more investigating in smart material like self-healing material or smart material like ionic conductive polymer, conjugated polymer. Because we've seen in this tree, for example, Soft Robotics Inc., the gripper, after 20 times, it's just the system is like cut or shredded, and, and that's an issue. So do you think of research, when we do the research, we have to consider investigating more as a community in a smart material and self-healing material or smaller skill like that because most of research is still using passive material and actuated with pneumatic or cable shape memory alloy so, so how do you read this kind of uh, um we have or direction in research as a community do you think we have to focus in one direction or in the both direction yeah, I don't think it's obvious that something like self-healing materials will be uh, uh, widely uh, successful in soft robotics just because the complexity it may add to the systems. Mm. Um, but I am excited by the potential, and, and uh, certainly it merits uh, you know, very serious um, consideration and attempts to uh, incorporate, engineer those into all sorts of soft robotic devices. Um, to the extent that... Uh, those materials um, don't cause compromises in the design. Uh, I think it, it, it would be excellent um, if they require additional uh, features like uh, 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 or constraints on the design on uh, thickness of material layers and stiffness, uh, incorporation of uh, additional complex elements like fluid channels or something like that. Um, then it may uh, be much harder to uh, you know, integrate into most soft robotic systems. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this is great, and you know, as a multidisciplinary field, uh, mm -hmm. it's challenging to incorporate things like uh, you know, these more fundamental uh, or cutting-edge kind of material science concepts uh, with um, you know, integration engineers who are working on making uh, functional soft robots that, that do real tasks and uh you know these people maybe um have different training um and, and that uh i think will slow down the integration uh of these different types of technologies together um but that's just a reason that uh we need to work together more to uh develop our mm -hmm. common language and communication uh, and uh, refining our common goals as a community uh, across disciplines that are contributing to this. Mm -hmm. So having said that, because you said it, it's an interdisciplinary field and, and that's challenging sometimes, I would like to ask you to think that speaking different languages like material science, robotics, and maybe control, do you think we in the community we still have a challenges because realistically speaking, um, sometimes we depend on some materials like smart materials and, and material science and you have to understand the, the limitation and what you expect from a robotics perspective. How do you see this different language in, in the field? Do you think it's challenging or not for, from your experience? Yeah, it's, it's an opportunity and a challenge. Uh, maybe one of the reasons that uh, soft robotics is a relatively new field and hasn't uh, you know taken root before is, is, mm -hmm. uh, because it requires these uh, multiple types of uh, expertise and, and knowledge of fundamentals and integration um, and, and so this is the opportunity and why it's <clears throat> as a field it's, it's really attracting so much interest now that the people are working together and so it's it's a fundamental interest to uh, to develop that more and um, as robotic, as soft robotics researchers, uh, I think it's the duty of, of all soft robotics researchers to learn uh, at least enough of the skills across the whole spectrum of soft robotics areas, which um, you know, is not a traditional part of uh, people's uh, undergraduate or even graduate education in many cases. Um, but that's going to be where 
you know, really uh, strong mm -hmm. novel contributions are going to come from people who can appreciate uh, and understand uh, the new advances being made at different sides of, of the community uh, and integrating them together in a, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'd like to ask you what is upcoming interesting project you are currently involved in, upcoming project you're working on? Uh, yeah, we're working on um, a related uh, uh, technology to what I was describing earlier, um, but to different application of the body. We're working on developing uh, actual surgical tools. Mm -hmm. uh, and so these are uh, flexible uh, devices that we could uh, insert into the body. Um, currently, we're working on tools that are just smaller versions uh, of existing robotic surgical tools. Uh, we're targeting neurosurgery as an application that requires uh, smaller dexterous tools that can bend uh, you know, inside the ventricles, the fluid cavities inside the brain. Um, and, and so our, our current tools are uh, made of metal uh, with flexible uh, elements on them, but basically that's metal with hinges and, and cutting uh, joints and whatnot, uh, which works great at centimeter five millimeter size but as we're going smaller and smaller we see these challenges in uh, fabricating uh, tiny hinges and joints integrating components together uh, and this is where uh, a more of a, a flexible soft robotics kind of approach mm -hmm. uh, i think will be more scalable for making these uh, surgical tools smaller so incorporating flexible materials uh, and, and some methods that are used in larger soft robots into our millimeter size uh, bending wrists and uh, gripping forceps and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. This is the area that, uh, that I'm excited in, in the project that we're working on now. Mm -hmm. Great. So if I ask you what is the most promising project uh, has been done so far by other research groups in soft robotics? Uh, so this is a uh, yeah, big question. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a, uh, uh, I guess, a, a broad answer since I don't have a, uh, a strong single uh, project to be the best one mm -hmm. uh, that I've seen. I would say that the um, advances in uh, my field is uh, uh, using magnetic fields to control devices. Um, and uh, one uh, recent work that's uh, uh, inspiring to me uh, came from an MIT group that was uh, developing basically a thin, uh, it's like a uh, string-like material from a very flexible uh, magnetic composite. Mm -hmm. And this could bend like a, a catheter to go in inside the body. Um, and uh, unlike many other robotic devices, this uh, videos of this flexible catheter tool uh, looks very lifelike mm -hmm. and uh, just um, as an inspiring type of uh, illustration this uh, catheter can can um, bend and deform in very complex ways and clearly it has low interaction forces with the tissue environment around it um, and I think this uh, really highlights uh, and is a great example of uh, what the potential of soft robotics is to uh, challenge the uh, traditional robotics approach. Um, mm -hmm. So this is one project that's, that's been inspiring to me. Yeah, interesting. So if I ask you, since you started now and recently, how do you see the progress of soft robotics? Yeah, so there's been uh, you know, rapid uh, advances recently. Um, big question, uh, you know, I often hear from people um, uh, when they see that I'm doing some soft robotics uh, aspects of my work is uh, will these uh, advances continue and is the field hyped uh, too much, uh, which uh, I can't answer. I, I don't think so. And I think that um, some of the capabilities that are being shown in the community uh, are, are pretty fundamental and interesting mm -hmm. and, and, and real contributions. And, uh, and that the field is still in its infancy in that regard that um, new advances in how do we design soft robots and, and control them uh, will enable us to realize some of the 
uh, potentials that have sort of mm-hmm. been proven uh, or are promised by the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the coming years we'll see uh, similar advances what's been the last couple of years. Yeah. So I would like to ask you when you look to the future of soft robotics, sometimes you imagine, I want this kind of robotics, soft robotics in, in coming 10 years, for example. And if you see that, what do you think are the most challenging problems to achieve what you have in your imagination for a kind of robots you imagine? Yeah, in my imagination, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning uh, uh, these systems that are, are quite simple, uh, in, in control and use, uh, natural to use for our you know, human users, either uh, user that's directing them or interacting with the soft robot system, um, and uh, doesn't need you know the the operation should be uh, obvious and intuitive to the user because mm-hmm. it's it's uh, I think for for a user of a robotic system, um, if there's a lot of computation going on behind the scenes, uh, especially uh, in machine learning based computation, mm-hmm. it may not be clear why the robot's doing what it does. But soft robot systems, much more inherently, you can see them operate as the user, even if you know nothing about robotics or uh, uh, controls or anything like that. You can see a soft robot working, and you just understand how and why it works, and you can predict how it's going to behave in a new uh, environment. Mm-hmm. So that level of uh, transparency in operation, I think, is what uh, maybe the, the most inspiring long-term um, uh, usage for uh, for soft robotics. The challenge of getting there then is uh, all about uh, making them uh, precise, repeatable. Uh, you know all these problems that uh, we're working on in the community and being able to do uh, you know real tasks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I ask you about the ethics and regulation for soft robotics, do you think we have to come up with ethics or regulation because most of research incorporating toxic materials recently or sometimes it's, it's not really the, the product is not reproducible so this kind of issue how, how you see this kind of is it really considered seriously in our research do you think from experience or we have to make a great effort in this as this aspect uh, I do think an effort is needed and I mentioned before that it's the responsibility of all software bias researchers to learn uh, some of the techniques and fundamentals mm-hmm. from the different disciplines within soft robotics, mm-hmm. materials, uh, design, actuation, controls. Um, but uh, this is another one that should be added. Uh, and I, I totally agree with this. Uh, and I think most researchers are not uh, you know, paying uh, so much attention to this because mm-hmm. some of the you know, bottleneck issues in the community are, are a little bit more basic and um, uh, there's still challenges to solve before we're deploying most of these soft robotic systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we can get by uh, as researchers for most applications, ignoring it for a little while longer. Um, but uh, I think especially any newer researchers, younger researchers in the field uh, should learn more about uh, you know, biocompatibility, mm-hmm. uh, ethical concerns about the area that they're uh, looking into long-term behavior of materials in uh, you know real implementation uh, and then that may have big implications on how we're designing our robots which may impose some constraints that uh, that we're not expecting mm-hmm. so I think we do need to pay more attention to it now yeah and that's a very interesting point I would like to ask you how we ensure that soft robotics will be beneficial to humanity as a whole? And that's why it leads to the question, do you think most of research must be like technology-driven or product-driven? Because sometimes when you develop soft robotics, you don't know what you expect, like force, restrain your system, for example. Um, and I would like to ask you how, how we can make sure that the research developed in the lab is going to really match what we people need at the end of the day how we can make sure this is happening as you from your lab or other labs as you can see yeah uh i mean the best way to make sure that uh, your work is uh 
you know, actually reaches application is to be solving real problems mm-hmm. um, and to start with a problem in mind and application and then you know, adapt the tools and techniques that are the best suited to solve that. Um, that being said, uh, in a lot of soft robotics research uh, uh, starts from people start from techniques and, and interesting new behaviors and are exploring what's possible. And the field is new enough that you know both approaches are uh, people should be taking both approaches mm-hmm. uh, to make good advances. Um, and, and as you mentioned, the capabilities of soft robots are still not understood well enough, and and just more exploratory research, even with uh, um, without a real application in mind at all, just uh, basic actuator development. Basic demonstrations of things like uh, you know walking, crawling robots that um, may themselves have limitations for any particular application. Mm-hmm. Uh, the what we learn from building those uh, is clearly applicable to other problems. Um, so I, I think the field is yeah new enough that, that any of these approaches are are creating advances. But um, and ultimately, the last step of getting to uh, real implementation and having an impact in the world is mm-hmm. going to have to be problem driven, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, you know, more of a, uh, applications engineer mindset of, of thinking what's the best, uh, what's the best tools. And in many cases that may mean that, uh, for real application, you're going to incorporate some, uh, multiple different types of tools and techniques together. You know, one of which may be soft robotics but not exclusively, depends mm-hmm. on the application. Yeah, yeah. So if I ask you about artificial intelligence and soft robotics, how you can see this kind of integration, opportunities for AI and soft robotics? Since most of AI tools like deep learning, black box, and in soft robotics, somehow we need some kind of understanding for the material, non-narratives, and these features. So how do you see this integration, and what could be opportunities helpful for soft robotics from AI algorithms? Yeah, I, I think um, uh, in most many people in software robotics community, uh, uh, their expertise is in uh, uh, materials and modeling and understanding uh, these systems from a fundamental level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea of having model-free uh, control, which is just based on observations, which is you know, a machine learning approach, uh, is, is distasteful uh, in that regard. Um, but clearly, AI techniques uh, should be in the toolbox of any engineer uh, going forward now. And I think uh, every engineer should be uh, knowledgeable enough to understand the potential of uh, machine learning techniques for what they're working on and should be uh, reversed at least a little bit uh, in what the challenge is and when, when those techniques would excel. Um, soft robotics has a good potential because soft robotics devices are uh, difficult to model mm. and control. And, and as a community, we struggle to know, you know what control input should we give? How do we um, get complex behaviors out? When, uh, when we don't know how to uh, how to get simple behaviors operating properly, uh, you know this is a flag that uh, machine learning uh, could be a good technique to apply, where uh, we observe the system and, and design a um, you know algorithm just based on on the data. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. the big challenge is whether or not uh, the systems are. Uh, repeatable enough mm-hmm. where past behavior will predict the future behavior um, and what kind of data can we actually collect on these systems um, so incorporating sensors um, on board the robot or or external sensors uh, and the quality of that data and repeatability uh, I think will really decide how successful uh, machine learning can be in uh, mm-hmm. in helping with uh, soft robotics control mm-hmm. um, for design, there's clearly uh, I think it's a maybe more potential yeah. uh, to use uh, you know, the reinforcement learning uh, type approach uh, or to explore these design spaces 
and software blats are often uh, there's an art to knowing uh, physically, mechanically how they should be arranged and, and designed, and how individual actuators should be combined and whatnot. So this is a good tech, uh, a good candidate for uh, using AI techniques mm -hmm. in the design process. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. So if I ask you about uh, the boarding that your student wanted to start a startup and software robotics business, the projects you have, what do you think the most important factors to match the research in the lab and uh, the real world applications and industry? So do you think there is a gap and what this kind of gap and how we can make it zero? That's what we done in the lab can really use in, in real-world application as in startup or company later in soft robotics. Yeah, so the gap is in identifying those uh, exact applications that are a, uh, an excellent matchup with the capabilities of our soft robotic systems. Um, and so that comes from talking to users and experts in the application area, uh, be those uh, clinicians and doctors for medical applications or uh, other users or um, uh, in a factory uh, automation setting, um, uh, you know, the various users who would be involved in, in that process and, and really understanding what are the challenges and limitations in some of the traditional robotics approaches that have likely been tried for those problems and, and, and finding uh, the areas where soft robotics could, could really fit in. Um, but it, it'll, it'll involve not just having one short conversation with those uh, end users or experts, uh, but a continual dialogue. And so incorporating those people more into our research, mm -hmm. um, pursuing uh, some projects that are uh, uh, very tied in with those users will help understand uh, what the challenges are and um, which uh, technical problems in our field uh, uh, really need to be solved or, or how our approach should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you speak to your family or people who are not involved in the soft robotics field, what are their reaction? Are they interested in the soft robotics? Yeah, people think it's cool and uh, maybe surprised that, that that uh, I, as a roboticist, would call those things robots because uh, mm -hmm. it's it's just uh, maybe surprising um, Why? to a layperson because uh, it doesn't uh, look and behave like uh, robots that uh, people have seen before. Mm -hmm. um, it's less uh, it, it, soft robotics has such a different um, uh, capability set from traditional robots. You know, we're we're kind of forgoing. Uh, precision and maybe speed, which is the hallmark of uh, many traditional robotic systems. Um, and so it's just surprising to, to many people to see this uh, uh, different approach. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think people, uh, the, you know, broader uh, community of uh, people interested in, in technology or, or not uh, are receptive to soft robotics and mm -hmm. these are inherently maybe um, gentler systems yeah. that uh, people are less maybe less likely to be concerned about than um, uh, big robots made out of metal that are uh, loud and clanking around which uh, mm -hmm. uh, evoke uh, yeah. more of a uh, you know concern reaction from many people mm -hmm. so if I, I want to like know if you have any robots at your home uh, I don't have any robots in my home, mm -hmm. no. Uh, do you plan to have any robots in the future? Do I plan to have any robots? Um, uh, no immediate plans. Um, a, uh, uh, you know, I've been uh, talking to a lot of people about uh, home care robots mm -hmm. and um, uh, robots that are helping people, uh, you know, have needs at home um, and how uh, most uh, communities around the world maybe are having a, uh, a crunch coming up of uh, being able to care for aging populations. Uh, and I think this is a, a really important 
area that robotics can have a, an impact uh, in caring for people in, in the home, both from a social as well as you know, physical interaction uh, and assistive uh, way. And, and soft robotics can definitely play a role in, in this area um, of sending robots into the home and anything interacting with people. Uh, soft robotics has that uh, mm-hmm. advantage of, of safe and uh, approachable kind of uh, capabilities for that. Um, so I think for robots in the home, uh, I think this is uh, not just a, a fantasy and, and this should be really considered seriously. Um, and, and soft robotics can play a role in that, I think. Mm-hmm. So do you think ego is important for the researcher? Uh, ego can drive us to uh, uh, push ourselves mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, incorporate the newest uh, best techniques uh, and um, so so I think in terms of uh, having a productive research community with impactful leaders uh, I think ego is uh, an important aspect of that uh, and, and valuable one in that regard um, uh, as long as we don't let it uh, uh, have a negative effect on our uh, interpersonal, inter-researcher uh, relationships. I, I think it's a healthy part of the mm-hmm. research ecosystem. Okay. <laughs> I would like to ask you also a question about robotics. Do you think robotics as a future can really take the jobs from human? Do you think this something could happen? And also we have a capitalism system, so that's why they, all the companies just like manipulate the, the sector of technology. Do you have these fears or it's okay for you? Uh, of course, uh, any new technology uh, has the potential to displace workers and, and there's, uh, you can't argue that, that there's not uh, examples of that. And, um, and so whether or not we should be concerned is what is the impact of that change going to be on uh, the people doing those jobs uh, are people just being displaced, and, mm-hmm. um, and and this might be negative, or uh, is the role of people and the specific jobs that people are doing going to improve? Um, that would be the better uh, advantage. But you know, for ever since people were developing technology, people had this concern about technology displacing workers, and that will have a negative impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, the role of workers has changed so much because of automation and, and many jobs have, have become uh, less hazardous, less uh, menial tasks, um, and people have become more productive um, because of the technology. And they, in many cases, haven't been displaced. Um, and so uh, I think a you know, knee-jerk reaction to any new robotic or other automation type technologies is not warranted. But, um, you know, a careful look at uh, what are we actually developing and how is that going to impact uh, the community of of workers that are going to use this tool or be replaced by this tool. Uh, I think robotics researchers should be knowledgeable about that and, um, and have more interaction with the people mm-hmm. who are uh, going to be implementing and, and, and users of the tool um, so that we can guide that uh, process into, into what we're developing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a complex issue yeah. uh, with, without uh, you know clear answers. On the whole, I definitely believe that technology development uh, makes things better for uh, our society as a whole. People are becoming more productive and uh, are able to use um, more complex skills that are available to them um, rather than uh, just picking up uh, parts mm-hmm. and moving them on a factory floor. They'll be directing uh, directing robots and, and making more complex decisions, which I think are uh, maybe more rewarding tasks for people. Um, yeah. So this is the complex... Uh, scenario in that regard yeah 
So, if I ask you what is the most inspiring book you have ever read and inspires you as a researcher? You know, I, uh, this is a difficult question. Uh, uh, I read this, um, so I, I do microbiotics, and mm. some of my first work in microbiotics was on um, uh, controlling teams and swarms of microbots and using uh, different magnetic materials and whatnot to do that and, and complex inputs. And uh, when I started doing the research, uh, a lot of my um, friends were asking, uh, you know, what my robot swarm was going to do and was it going to be used for uh, good purposes or evil purposes. Uh, and I read this Michael Crichton book called Prey, which is all about uh, basically swarms of microbots biological entities that escape the lab and uh, wreak havoc. Um, I think uh, the book was uh, fantastical and not you know, grounded in, in real things that are going to happen mm. in our research labs. But uh, actually reading the book and uh, thinking about the, um, uh, you know, what scenarios could these things be used for? Uh, I think this had a good impact on how I communicate my research to lay people. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, being able to invoke and, and talk about uh, science fiction uh, implementations of our work, uh, I think are, are, uh, can help us as researchers yeah. tap into the emotions that uh, other stakeholders in our work have. Uh, lay, uh, uh, bring a broader audience, um, as well as other stakeholders like uh, people who are funding our research or end users of our, our research, mm -hmm. uh, don't understand the technical details, and uh, but they do know the science fiction aspects. Um, and so being able to talk that language and, and think about those problems a lot, uh, uh, it, it's been valuable for me. So that's uh, yeah. one book that uh, was kind of uh, fun and lighthearted, but actually I think had a uh, positive impact on my research. That's very interesting, yeah. So, if I ask you what is the most important quality for the researcher, you can recommend an early career or beach student. What are the main important qualities, you think? Yeah, for, for maybe for any robotics, but particularly for soft robotics area, uh, being a multi uh, multidisciplinary capable I think it's the most important mm -hmm. and uh, you know you don't need to be an expert in every aspect of soft robotics because there's a lot of knowledge that you would need to acquire to do that um, but being capable and, and having enough knowledge to discuss every area for material science uh, design controls implementation uh, feedback and planning all those things um, are, are part of the problem so uh, my suggestion and uh, to be an effective uh, researcher and be able to have a research vision and see it through and have an actual impact on the field, it's going to come from uh, having enough knowledge in those different areas that, that you can uh, not just speak the language, but actually understand uh, the different elements of that. Mm -hmm. And this is challenging for, for many new uh, researchers in the field who like to uh, specialize or have um, uh, their focus align more with their interests, which may be more on the mechanical or material side or robotic side. Mm -hmm. um, at least dabbling, uh, more than dabbling, but, but getting into it uh, from a one yeah. course per area kind of uh, uh, level uh, is going to be necessary. Great. So finally, what is the best advice was given to you and was like a life changing, was it personally or professionally, your luxurious audience? Some advice that was given to me um, uh, when I was starting uh, as a uh, independent researcher in my faculty position uh, I was given the advice that uh, my work will not have uh, impact if I'm uh, ignoring applications and usage mm -hmm. um, I think you've heard throughout my answers yeah. uh, to some of your questions today that uh, that had a big impact on the way I think about my research uh, topics and directions. Um, I do some basic research or more fundamentals kind of research uh, 
on basic techniques and whatnot in my lab, but uh, uh, really grounding it and in, in thinking more deeply uh, about how we're going to use this and, and who, who are going to be the end users. Mm. Um, so that was, um, I guess, had a big uh, change in how I was approaching my research directions uh, from some advice I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally, do you have any final words for so robotics community you would like uh, to say? Uh, I wish I had a crystal ball to see uh, how um, you know the field is going to progress in the yeah. next uh, five years. But I'm excited to uh, to get there with all of you. So uh, see you see you in a few years to uh, discuss the um, progress we've made uh, together. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you and on behalf of IEEE Soft Robotics, I would like to thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you.